Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and host of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Just as we differ in political philosophy, we've arranged our lives in very different ways, from our careers to where we live to our choices about marriage and family. But we have more in common than divides us. In a world that increasingly defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Nuanced Life. Sarah and I have spent lots of time together and have lots of conversations from our time on the road that we want to start bringing you into today. We kept finding ourselves in the middle of discussions being like, oh, shoot, we should have recorded that. (laughs) That would have been good Nuanced Life material. So we're going to try to sort of reconstruct and expand on some of those conversations today about putting yourself out there. So we're going to talk about Sarah's election. We're going to talk about some experiences in my life and just what happens, especially as a woman, but as any kind of person, when you make something and share it with the world or you ask the world to bet on you and what that can be. But first, we are going to start, as always, with some commemorations and feedback. So we have one commemoration from Chase. It says, for the third consecutive year, my partner and I are carrying on a budget-friendly Christmas tradition because, like many couples, we both have a tendency to buy what we want and need throughout the year. It's become increasingly challenging to think of that one perfect gift we know the other will anxiously anticipate. As a result of this, along with trying to be mindful about how spending tends to run rampant this time of year, we enacted a $60 maximum Christmas budget. The breakdown, 50 is contributed to gifts, 10 is for stockings, which, side note, I think this is really smart because stockings are like the forgotten part of Christmas gifts. Over these past years, we've learned how to stock items as they careen into clearance, and we've learned how to maximize rewards like gift cards and credit card rewards points. As a result, this is our first year capping our freebie money, that money's from saved gift cards, credit card rewards, etc., that can be applied to gifts, to $10 in the spirit of fairness. What have we done with our budget in the past? One very personal outgrowth of this process has been the reintroduction of handmade gifts into our repertoire. A piece of handmade artwork with supplies found around the house is a great way to show appreciation in an inexpensive way. We are also big discount shoppers. Apps like Ibotta and routinely checking products and their costs. Price adjustments, anyone? Paired with buying secondhand have become staples in how we manage holiday shopping for one another. To some, this amount may seem insignificant. To others, it may seem overwhelming. The beauty of taking on a tradition of your own is that you make it yours. If $100 seems more reasonable, enact a $100 budget. If things are a bit tight, see what you can do with $25. The best part about it all, it's forced my partner and myself to become intentional consumers. With $10 as 20% of your gift budget, you have to think about where every penny goes. Things like shipping costs, additional pieces needed, etc. all become part of the consideration. In doing this, we both become more mindful of our consumption during the holidays. And the best part, we both find ourselves really listening to the wants and needs of each other, and we both take time to reflect on why we are important to one another. I want to share this because this became a blessing to us this holiday season. If your gift routine is getting stale or if budget is a priority, give a limited budget a shot. Sincerely, blessed holidays, Chase. 
I think that's such a great idea because do you ever do that thing where you're like, what did I get you last year? I don't know. What did you give me? What did you give me? Like where you can't remember what gifts you gave. That's always the most depressing, I think, moment where you realize, like, I spent money on this and we don't even remember what it was. I find myself so often thinking, can we just as adults agree that we don't need to do this? But I think Chase has a really lovely way around that. My husband and I have kind of tackled this by trying to give each other experiences instead of stuff. But I think this limitation is another nice way because stuff isn't all bad. You know, there there are things Mm. that are beautiful and valuable and memorable. And I love the idea of making things for one another. I think that's a beautiful addition to this routine. A friend of mine shared this really cool thing on Facebook that was like the gift giving pyramid. First was experiences. Then it was like repurposed items, handmade items, used items, and then something brand new. And it was like, you're supposed to work your way down if you couldn't think of anything. I thought that was a really good way to think about gift giving as well. That is awesome. We were so privileged to meet a couple of people who sent in commemorations when we did our live show in Gettysburg. It was amazing to put human faces with the stories that we've been reading. And it reminded me of a conversation that I was having with my friend Tracy, who's also an executive producer of Fancy Politics, that some commemorations cannot be shared for one reason or another. The details of them are too complicated or there are too many people involved that just wouldn't kind of understand what we're doing here or why we're sharing it. But many folks hold on to commemorations that, for whatever reason, don't make it into our inbox. And so I want to encourage you, if you have those kind of anonymous commemorations, it makes me it takes me back to my Southern Baptist days of anonymous prayer requests. You are more <laughs> than welcome to let us know that, too, and we will celebrate or grieve or just hold on to whatever is going on in your life as well. We have a little bit of feedback. First, we had a listener that said, I'm a relatively new listener to the Pantsy Politics and Nuanced Life podcast, and I love, love, love your work. However, I was very disappointed in your recent at-home parenting episode. I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I'm glad to hear that more men are filling that role in their families. However, I was taken aback by how unaware your guests seem to be of the male privilege he enjoys. Dads get heaps of praise for doing the simplest parenting task, while moms are criticized and judged for not doing enough. I wish you would have pushed him to recognize the work of women who came before him. I appreciate your comments about parody and parental leave and would have been interested to hear a conversation about the different challenges men and women face as stay-at-home parents. Sincerely, Katie. I think that's definitely a fair point. I think that's a fair critique. Absolutely. It is a different situation for men and women. And there are lots more questions that I would have for any man who's staying at home and for stay-at-home moms, too. And uh, I can understand where Katie's coming from. I also have some feedback on you and Elisa's conversation. I also feel strong feelings about all the Disney princesses. But what I wanted to add is as I was listening to your conversation, I thought as a mother of three boys, man, there's not a lot of great Disney prince options out there either. They're either like, like the Disney, arguably the prince in Snow White is just as boring as Snow White. Like he's boring and lame too. And I feel like the only options presented by the Disney princes is like boring. It is your responsibility to save everyone you're a date rapist, or you're like a villain, basically. And as I was listening, I'm like, man, it's just maybe the whole entire setup needs to get scrapped, which just seems like what they're doing with Moana. I totally agree that the direction they're heading is very, very positive. When you put romantic love as the central achievement in life, or romantic conquest might be a better way to put it, not love, you're going to diminish everyone in the process. How do we even settle on that? Because it's like I remember hearing a guy say about teaching your kids an appreciation of music and not letting them listen to romantic music because they don't understand. That has no 
framework inside their lives so they don't build an appreciation. So how did we decide to do all these childhood stories about romantic love? Although in fairness, really, so many of the original fairy tales really aren't about that. But it's like Disney thinks the only people or for a long time thought the only conflict people understood was like romantic love or death of a parent. That seems to be their go to conflict. A parent dies. Figure it out, kids. Yeah, I also think that some stories that are told to children aren't children's stories. But there's Mm -hmm. something about our era where we think that all stories are kids' stories, that we couldn't possibly have these stories there for adults to kind of dig into. I don't think it's wrong to have stories about romantic love, to be sure. But why you would think, this is where I really want to take my my four-year-old set, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Agreed. Agreed. But I thought you and Lisa had a great conversation. It was really fun to listen to her on The Nuance Life. I was so glad that she was here, and I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I was thinking, I wonder what Sarah would say. So nice to know that you were thinking about the princes, and I agree that the princes are shortchanged in the process, too. They're super lame. Not so true in the superhero movies, though. I mean... No, that's true. That's where boys really get get their due. I don't even know the princes. Like, I don't know their names. Like, I don't know the dude's name in Snow White or Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty. I don't even think they have names. I think they just call him the prince. Or Prince Charming, right? There's just the one. Oh, right. That's so lame. And I did think... I loved your point about you wanted a female Iron Man. I mean, I think that's... He's he's just an anti-hero in so many ways. I mean, and I think there's lots of space inside the superhero a genre for female antiheroes. And I think there's more of those in the comic books themselves. I just haven't quite made it to film yet. Our friend and listener Jackie told us that we're missing all the work being done in the LGBTQ community because there are tons of stories of like lesbian heroes that are exactly what I was talking about. And so it was a good reminder that, you know, when we are fed work from one demographic, we miss lots of interesting art that's out there. Amen. And we'll put some of Jackie's books in the show notes. All right. Next up, we're going to share about what happens when you put yourself out there. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. myself out there for anybody who doesn't listen to fancy politics and has not heard an update i was a city commissioner in my hometown and for a few more months but i ran for re-election this election cycle and did not win which was incredibly disappointing also because it was a pretty brutal race and got very personal with people like defacing my signs and posting mean messages on facebook so i've definitely spent the last few weeks licking my wounds and thinking about why i was out there what i learned from being in the arena what I learned about myself, if I want to be out there again. It's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of processing when you lose an election, I'll tell you what. And that processing, it seems at least from just being the perspective of your friend, Sarah, has taken off in a lot of different directions. It seems like you've gained a lot of insight about yourself beyond kind of what did I do during my term as a city commissioner? Yeah, I mean, I think I've spent a lot of time thinking about, it's almost like two things. I've thought about the just the pragmatic reality of what I accomplished what I didn't, will I miss this drop? There's a lot of things I will miss, but you know, the reality is because of our book coming out and because of all the work we do on the podcast, 
I was increasingly feeling like I was stretched in two different directions. So there's like a pragmatic reality of like, I'm not overwrought. I have other jobs that give great community and a sense of purpose. But then there's just the philosophical sort of struggle, which is, you know, you put your name on a ballot and people act people to react to you. It's a tough personal task. Even if, if you tell yourself that so many people are voting based on things that have nothing to do with you, that they don't know you as a person, and you can look to the people who do know you well and who do tell you encouraging things. But it's just hard. It's hard to get out there and get kind of battered and bruised and beat up and feel like, why did I do this? And what can I learn from it? I think I've, I've learned a lot about myself as I spent the last few days, and I'm, not just the last few days, the last few years doing the job. It's so different than what I thought it would be. I think there was a lot of search for validation in me taking on being a city commissioner because for better or for worse, I think I always felt throughout, you know, it all goes back to your childhood, everybody. That's what we learned because we like therapy so much on Pansy, Polit- or on P- Pansy Politics and the Nuance Life. I was always sort of the odd man out as a child because I had red hair and glasses, because I was one of the few kids with divorced parents for a lot of different reasons. And because of my sort of career path, I never felt like, oh, I have this serious job and everybody sees me as like the super competent person. And I think I was searching for a lot of that by putting myself out there and running for office because I was always more of a personality than like an accomplisher, I guess. And so, I mean, but that's that's a hard thing to think about. It's a hard thing to think about. Like, did I do this for ego reasons? Did I do this because I definitely wanted to make my town better. I, I definitely wanted to leave it better for my kids. And and to show another type of leadership. But I do think there was a lot of me being out there because I was searching for validation and confirmation about some things I I thought about myself. And because I focus so much on what I can accomplish to, to validate myself and what I can control, I really, I, I should have picked a better arena. There's not a lot you can control in electoral politics. <laughs> you can control what you can control, but there's, you're still asking a lot of people to do something that you just don't have any control over when they go into the ballot box. And it was hard. And I think that being in that space and trying to walk that path between being legitimately concerned with what people thought about me and learning when to not take it personally, it was a struggle, a struggle I'm still kind of trying to figure out. I hope that you don't feel any sense of guilt about having that validation be a component of it, because I think every person who does anything does so for a huge variety of reasons. And Mm -hmm. some of those are conscious and some of them are not conscious. But I don't think that you can be in any leadership position without it having something to do with working out some of your personality. I'm not sure you can be in any job without some of it being part of working out your personality. I mean, I know for me, doing the podcasts is an extreme form of putting myself out there. And I come at it from the opposite perspective of what you described about your childhood. I was known for competence, not personality. I felt like I was a series of achievements, not a human being. I've shared before on the show that, you know, when I was in like, I think it was second grade, this boy looked at me and said, you would be so pretty if you weren't so smart. And mm. being smart just eclipsed everything else about me. And there's you know tons to unpack in that remark. But the fact that I still think about it at 37 shows you that a lot of my life story has been like, who am I other than my resume? And it's been a real transition for me over the past almost 12 months now, not finding my identity 
in work that sounds impressive to people. Mm-hmm. There are so many people in my life who don't know what a podcast is, who can't possibly imagine that I'm making a living at it. I'm not making a sustainable living at it yet. I'm definitely not making the kind of money that I was making before, which served as a substitute for my grades, right? I was finding that that same fuel that I got from being a 4.0 student then transferred to my bank account. And I'm having to undo all of that. And it's true that I do the podcast, I do our writing, I do all of our work because I really care about America and about the world and about how we treat each other as human beings. But sure, there's an element of ego in that, of me kind of finding myself as a person instead of a slate of accomplishments. I am unqualified to offer political commentary, yet here I am doing it. And it's kind of a good thing for me to see that like, I can... I can do something without a bunch of accolades behind me because there's some fundamental worthiness. That's that's ego, too. It is. It's hard not to feel guilty. And I think there's such a strong impulse in me and so many other women that when you put yourself out there, win or lose, the instinct is to pick apart your choices and what you did. And did you mess this up like right after the election? Me and several other women that ran for office locally who also lost, we have a sort of a little liberal women's face group, and we were all like, sorry, we couldn't bring it home. Sorry, we did our best. A friend of mine who's amazing and wise and a therapist got on and said, hey, y'all, stop. You don't owe us anything, and you don't need to apologize. But I think the instinct to turn inward and figure out what you could do, you know, my therapist says, she told me the same thing. She was like, it seems like when something goes bad, you decide that it's less painful to blame yourself and critique yourself and how you failed short in the arena, than to admit that sometimes that's just the nature of the arena. And that's just other people's choices. And she's like, I'm not really sure it is less painful. And you don't have to do that. But that instinct to sort of go, well, this is where I screwed up, or maybe I was doing it for the wrong reasons, or this is what I would do differently is so, so strong. And any kind of rejection is hard. You know, there were Mm -hmm. a lot of moments in my last couple of years in my job when I was starting to feel very rejected by decision makers, by sort of the the shifting climate in the office. And that's hard. It's miserable to feel rejected. That's why I think thinking seasonally has helped me a lot, too, because now I'm able mm-hmm. to say, you know what? I don't need to diminish myself. I also don't need to diminish those people. I don't need to be bitter and angry and critical. I can just say it's a different season for me and for them. And we don't belong together during that season. And that's all right. And knowing that is so much better than not knowing it and trying to force it and making everybody miserable in the process. Well, because I think the other thing I learned in childhood and about all these things is, you know, about getting out there and putting yourself out there is I had some sense and I still have to fight it that like I will get there. I will prove myself once and for all and I will, you know, dust off my hands and be done or I will find the good, the perfect job or the good leadership position. And I will I'm still waiting for like finals, you know, like finals in class to to get the final grade and to move on to the next thing. But it doesn't work like that in real life. There's there's not a hard stop often or not a that's why we commemorate on this show is to remember that like we are flowing in and out of season. Sometimes they overlap. And that's so important to remember as you're trying to heal from one and prepare for the next one. Yeah, and I'm just not sure that we're ever allowed to really get a stamp of approval because 
so few people approve of themselves. And when everybody's walking around doing exactly what we just talked about, you know, saying, well, I must have done something wrong here, or what is it about me? When everybody's walking around doing that to themselves, then they don't have any space for each other. And so what we either do is say, well, that person's perfect and everything about their life is amazing and hold them to super unrealistic standards, knowing that they are doomed for failure (laughs) under that rubric Mm. that we've created around them. Or we decide that they can't be good enough and we we invent all kinds of reasons to tear them down in our own brains and it's a fight to keep your brain from doing those two things from sorting everybody you know in those two ways the whole exercise is a fight i mean man that's why they call it the arena i guess yeah (laughs) it's you're fighting you know you're fighting your interaction with other people your interaction with yourself your interaction with the chaos and fate of the universe but i love while we're just fully invested in the Brene Brown metaphor, the braving the wilderness, when you, the point where you realize, yeah, I'm out there and I'm doing this. And what always gives me strength is realizing that I'm not in the wilderness alone, that there's other people putting themselves out there and struggling with the repercussions of that, both good and bad, and trying to grow from it. And that is always, you know, looking to each side and see who's standing beside me is always what gives me the most amount of hope. We always want to leave you with something in Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Firing and Sarah today selected one of my very favorite poems to close us out. This is Good Bones by Maggie Smith. And I think it is a perfect prelude to Thanksgiving. Life is short, though I keep this from my children. Life is short, and I've shortened mine in a thousand delicious, ill-advised ways. A thousand deliciously ill-advised ways I'll keep from my children. The world is at least 50% terrible, and that's a conservative estimate, though I keep this from my children. For every bird, there is a stone thrown at a bird. For every loved child, a child broken, bagged, sunk in a lake. Life is short, and the world is at least half terrible. And for every kind stranger, there is one who would break you, though I keep this from my children. I am trying to sell them the world. Any decent realtor, walking you through a real shithole, chirps on about good bones. This place could be beautiful, right? You could make this place beautiful. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Nuanced Life. We will be back in your ears on Friday over at Pantsuit Politics. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Nuance Life is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. The Nuance Life is listener supported. For $5 a month, you'll receive an extra episode of The Nuance Life at patreon.com slash The Nuance Life. You can connect with us on our website, thenuancelife.com, and follow us on Instagram.